Welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is Alatar Shujin, your host and a chief medical resident at the University of Connecticut. A quick disclaimer before we start. All opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. With that in mind, I would like to welcome you back to our ambulatory series, and today I would like to discuss vaccinations in adults, meaning in anyone over the age of 19. When discussing vaccinations with your patients, make sure to collect prior vaccination history, patient's age, underlying medical conditions, occupation and travel plans, as they all may affect one's vaccination eligibility. One of the best resources to help you navigate vaccinations in adults is cdc.gov slash vaccines slash schedules. Most of the information presented today came from that website, so feel free to visit for more details and make sure to print out a schedule to use in your clinic. Before we dive into the individual vaccines, let's quickly talk about what to do if vaccination history is unavailable or incomplete. Performing titers could be an option, but it's not required for administration of age-appropriate vaccinations. The CDC does not recommend delaying age-appropriate vaccinations in the absence of a written record, but one should still attempt to obtain prior history even after administration. It is generally safe for adults to receive repeat vaccinations if vaccination history is unknown. There are two exceptions, however. One can accept a self-reported annual flu vaccination and should not repeat it. If patient reports PPSV23 vaccination, it is preferred to obtain records first as early revaccination with PPSV23 may cause a localized reaction. Let's now start with influenza vaccine. It comes in four formulations. One is egg-based inactivated injectable, one is a cell culture-based inactivated injectable, one is recombinant injectable, and one is life attenuated. Both inactivated and recombinant formulations can be given in patients of all ages, but life attenuated vaccine is not recommended for individuals over the age of 50. Influenza vaccine is administered annually before the peak season for flu. The contraindication for a flu vaccine would be a previous severe allergic reaction to any influenza vaccine or its components. And some of the precautions include Guillain-Barré syndrome within six weeks after previous dose of any type of influenza vaccine and a moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Let's now move on to tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis vaccination. It exists in two formulations, Tdap and Td. Tdap is usually given around the age of 11. It should be repeated every 10 years thereafter, with some exceptions in pregnant patients and in cases of wound management. One dose of Tdap needs to be administered every pregnancy between weeks 27 and 36, even if patient was vaccinated within the last 10 years. Tdap or TD are also helpful in wound management. Patients with clean or minor wounds who have previously received three or more doses of Tdap vaccine 
but it's been more than 10 years since the last dose, should receive a Tdap or TD. For all other wounds, administer Tdap or TD if more than five years since last dose. Tdap formulation is preferred in the following scenarios. If history of vaccination is unknown, if this is the first tetanus toxoid vaccination, or in pregnant individuals. If patients did not receive vaccination at the age of 11, they should be vaccinated with a three-dose series, Tdap followed by Tdap or Td four weeks later, followed by another Tdap or Td six to 12 months later. Contraindications for these vaccines are severe allergic reaction to Tdap or Td vaccine or its components, and for Tdap only, encephalopathy within seven days of administration, otherwise unexplained by any other processes. Moving on to measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. It should be administered in one or two doses in patients born in 1957 or later, and it is not recommended for individuals over the age of 65. In patients who were born before 1957, have documentation of MMR vaccine or tighter supporting evidence of immunity, they don't need to be vaccinated. Those without proof of immunity need to get one or two doses of MMR vaccine in adulthood between ages 19 and 65. MMR is contraindicated in pregnancy, but should be administered to a woman after delivery and before discharge from the hospital if no evidence of immunity to rubella. Non-pregnant women of childbearing age with no evidence of immunity to rubella get one dose of MMR in adulthood. HIV patients with CD4 percentages over 15% and CD4 count greater than 200 for at least six months and no evidence of immunity to measles, mumps, or rubella should receive two doses of MMR at least four weeks apart. MMR is contraindicated in patients with CD4 count less than 200. Severe immunocompromising conditions are a contraindication for MMR as well. Healthcare personnel with no evidence of immunity should receive two-dose series of MMR at least four weeks apart. Similarly, students in post-secondary educational institutions, international travelers with no evidence of immunity, should receive two-dose series at least four weeks apart. Some of the precautions for MMR vaccine are recent, less than 11 months, receipt of antibody-containing blood products, history of thrombocytopenia or thrombocytopenic purpura, need for TB testing, moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Let's talk about varicella next. Varicella is administered in two doses, four to eight weeks apart, to adults without evidence of vaccination and is recommended from 19 to 50 years of age. Patients over the age 50 can be vaccinated if there are risk factors. Evidence of immunity constitutes individuals born before 1980, except pregnant women and healthcare personnel, documented two doses of varicella-containing vaccine, titers or documented history of varicella or herpes zoster, Varicella vaccination is contraindicated in pregnancy, but after delivery should be administered before discharge from the hospital to those without evidence of immunity. 
Postpartum individuals without evidence of immunity should receive one dose if previously received one dose of varicella-containing vaccine or a two-dose series four to eight weeks apart. Healthcare workers with no evidence of immunity to varicella should receive one dose if previously received one dose of varicella-containing vaccine or two-dose series four to eight weeks apart if no prior vaccination. HIV patients with CD4 percentages over 15% and CD4 count greater than 200 with no evidence of immunity should receive two doses three months apart. Varicella vaccine is contraindicated in patients with CD4 count less than 200 or in cases of severe immunocompromising conditions. Other contraindication is severe allergic reaction to a previous varicella vaccine or its components. Precautions include moderate to severe acute illness with or without fever, as well as active herpes zoster infection. Moving on to zoster recombinant or Shingrix vaccine, it should be administered in two doses to those with immunocompromising conditions any age from 19 to 49 and recommended for any individual over the age 50. Two doses are administered two to six months apart regardless of previous herpes zoster history or history of zoster vaccine life vaccination. Contraindications to zoster recombinant vaccine are severe allergic reaction to a vaccine or its components. Precautions include moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever and an active herpes zoster infection. Let's now talk about human papillomavirus vaccine. It should be administered at the age of 9 through 14, but for those who did not complete series, catch-up may be necessary. It can be administered up until the age of 26 with two or three dose series depending on the age of initial vaccination. If patient is 15 years or older at the time of first vaccination, three dose series is needed with intervals one to two months and six months respectively. If individual received a two-dose series at least five months apart at the age of 9 through 14, vaccination series is considered complete, but if only one dose or two doses less than five months apart were done, one additional dose would be needed. If vaccination schedule is interrupted, the series does not need to be restarted. You can continue with where you left off. Vaccination at the age of 27 through 45 is based on shared decision-making with the patient. The vaccine is not recommended to individuals over the age 45. Pregnancy testing is not needed before vaccination, and no intervention is needed in inadvertently vaccinated while pregnant. Contraindications are severe allergic reaction after a previous dose, and precautions are moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Moving on to pneumococcal vaccine. This is the vaccine I personally find the most confusing, so let's dive in. Most recent recommendations are one dose of PCV15 followed by PPSV23 in at least one year, or one dose of PCV20 for individuals ages 19 through 64 with risk factors and for anyone over the age 65 who have not previously received vaccination or if vaccination history is not known. 
a minimum of eight weeks interval between PCV15 and PPSV23 can be considered for adults with an immunocompromising condition, cochlear implant, or cerebrospinal fluid leak to minimize the risk of invasive pneumococcal disease caused by stereotypes unique to PPSV23 in these vulnerable groups. To clarify, immunocompromising conditions include chronic renal failure, nephrotic syndrome, immunodeficiency, iatrogenic immunosuppression, generalized malignancy, HIV, Hodgkin's disease, leukemia, lymphoma, multiple myeloma, solid organ transplant, congenital or acquired asplenia, sickle cell disease. In the fall of 2021, 20-valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, PCV20, and 15-valent PCV vaccines were licensed by the FDA for adults over the age of 18. After comparison of antibody response of PCV13 with PCV15 and PCV20 with PPSV23, in October 2021, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommended use of either PCV20 alone or PCV15 in series with PPSV23 for all adults aged 65 and up and all adults 19 through 64 at risk. Cost-effectiveness studies demonstrated that use of PCV20 alone or PCV15 in series with PPSV23 for adults at age 65 years was cost-saving. Since we are in transition period, you will see patients who were previously vaccinated with PCV13 or PPSV23. So let's discuss what to do in those cases. Adults who have previously received PPSV23 only may receive either PCV20 or PCV15 more than one year following their last PPSV23. When PCV15 is used in those with history of prior PPSV23 vaccination, it does not need to be followed up by another PPSV23. In adults with previous PCV13, should complete previously recommended PPSV23 series. Co-administration with other vaccines is not well studied. Currently, no reports exist on co-administration with Tdap, hepatitis B, or Zoster. Evaluation of co-administration of PCV15, PCV20, or PPSV23 with COVID-19 vaccines is currently ongoing. Concomitant administration with Fluorex or Fluad flu vaccines has been demonstrated to be immunogenic and safe. However, lower pneumococcal stereotype-specific antibodies were reported when co-administered. Similar to other vaccines, contraindications to its administration would be severe allergic reaction after a previous dose or to a vaccine component. Precautions would be a moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Let's talk about hepatitis A vaccine next. It can be administered in two or three doses to those at risk. There are two dose series, Havrix, six to 12 months apart, or Vacta, six to 18 months apart, or a three dose series, Hep A, Hep B, Twinrix vaccine, one month and six month apart. So who is considered to be at risk for hepatitis A infection? 
It would be patients with chronic liver disease, HIV, men who have sex with men, patients with history of IV drug use, persons experiencing homelessness, patients who work with Hep A, travel to countries with high or intermediate endemic hepatitis A, have close personal contact with international adoptee and those who are pregnant, severe allergic reaction to a previous vaccine or its components would be a contraindication. Precautions are moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Another hepatitis vaccine we have to discuss is hepatitis B. It can be administered in two, three, or four doses depending on the type of vaccine and is recommended to individuals up to the age 59 with no risk and age 60 or older with high risk of hepatitis B infection. So who would be at risk for hepatitis B? Patients with chronic liver disease, HIV, sexual partners with hepatitis B service antigen, history of IV drug use, incarcerated persons, patients who travel to countries with high or intermediate endemic hepatitis B. Heplisav B vaccine specifically is not recommended in pregnancy due to lack of safety data in pregnant women. Otherwise, contraindications include severe allergic reactions to previous dose of the vaccine or its components and precautions is moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. Moving on to meningococcal vaccine. It comes in two forms, ACWY and B. Meningococcal ACWY vaccine is administered in one or two doses to those at risk for meningococcal disease. Risk factors include anatomical or functional asplenia, including sickle cell disease, HIV, persistent complement component deficiency, complement inhibitor, such as eculizumab or rivulizumab. Patients should receive a two-dose series and revaccinate in five years if risks remain. Other risk factors are travel to countries with hyperendemic or epidemic meningococcal disease, microbiologists routinely exposed to Neisseria meningitidis, college students who live in residential housing and who were not previously vaccinated at the age of 16 or older, and military recruits. All these individuals should receive one dose of MEN-ACWY vaccine with revaccination at five years if risk remains. There is also MEN-B vaccine that may also be given to adults aged 16 through 23 with anatomical or functional asplenia, including sickle cell disease, HIV, persistent complement component deficiency, complement inhibitor, such as eculizumab, rivulizumab. MEN-B vaccines may be administered simultaneously with MEN-ACWY vaccines if indicated, but at different anatomic sites if feasible. If pregnant, MEN-B vaccine should be delayed until after pregnancy. Aside from that, contraindications to MEN-ACWY vaccination include prior severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its components, or severe reaction to diphtheria toxoid or tetanus toxoid before. Precautions include moderate to severe acute illness with or without fever and latex sensitivity for MEN-B vaccine only. Last but not least, let's discuss Haemophilus influenza type B vaccine. 
It should be administered in one or three dose series depending on indication to patients with anatomical or functional asplenia, including sickle cell disease. One dose is recommended if previously did not receive Haemophilus influenza type B vaccination. If patient is undergoing elective splenectomy, one dose is recommended, preferably 14 days before the surgery. Hematopoietic stem cell transplant patients should receive a three-dose series four weeks apart, starting 6 to 12 months after successful transplant, regardless of vaccination history. Contraindications include previous severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its components for Hiberix, Actin, Advax, Hib only. History of severe allergic reaction to dry natural latex is a contraindication. Precautions include moderate or severe acute illness with or without fever. This concludes our discussion for today. I hope this was a good overview of the adult vaccinations. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.